Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, where a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news. My name is Sean Alaka, an editor-in-chief here at ETF.com. With me is my esteemed colleague, senior ETF analyst, Samit Roy, say hi, Samit. Hey, everyone. Hey, Samit, welcome. Good morning. Let's jump right in. So it's been a pretty momentous week for the ETF industry. Well, maybe not momentous, but sort of a, a historic week with, and certainly an entertaining week with the first ever launch of a single stock ETF in the US, which yes, you heard it right. It's not an oxymoron. It's a single stock. It's now actually a thing instead of tracking indexes. We now have ETFs tracking individual stocks, which has been the talk of the town this week. It was AXS Investments that launched the first single stock ETF yesterday, uh, which is on Thursday. And that lets you go you know, long or short on a handful of really high profile stocks like Tesla, um, NVIDIA. There's a handful of other ones. Um, so, I, I mean, it's been really interesting. And and you know the Wall Street Journal had it. Bloomberg reported on it. It was fun to read about and discuss this week. And you know I think in this sort of economic environment, or, or at least market where it's not even volatile anymore, it's just everything's down and everything just sucks. And and you know you you might not be able to find too much luck tracking these big indexes, right? I mean this might be just the perfect time for that. And considering there's a literally an ETF for everything you can imagine. Sort of seems like a natural progression or an evolution um, in the industry for for now to have these ETFs tracking individual stocks and and maybe some investors you know with the with the know-how and the and the wherewithal might actually find a little bit of joy with these products. I know Samit, you reported on them earlier this week. You know what kind of jumped out at you from you know this pretty novel product in the ETF industry? Yeah, Sean. So like you said, this is a completely brand new category of ETF we have in the U.S. And it all started with AXS Investments getting the green light to launch these earlier this week. And then trading officially began on Thursday. The initial batch contains eight ETFs and it includes leverage and inverse ETFs, like you said, tied to Tesla, NVIDIA, but also PayPal, Nike and Pfizer. And the leverage factors range from 1.25 times to two times. Now, there's a few things I'll say about these ETFs. The first is that investors need to be completely educated on the way these funds work before they even think about buying them. That's especially the case now uh, because the market is so volatile, right? And volatility actually has a very detrimental impact when it comes to these type of ETFs. And that's because of daily rebalancing. Many of the people listening right now probably know how daily rebalancing works, but let me just give a quick example to make it clear. Say you own PFES, that's the two times long Pfizer ETF that just launched this week. Pfizer is not a super volatile, volatile stock, but Let's say the stock goes up 5% on day one, from $50 a share to $52.50. And 
And let's say PFES is also trading at $50 on day one. Two times the return would put it at $55, a gain of 10%. Now let's say the next day Pfizer stock goes back down to $50. That's a loss of $2.50 or 4.8%. Double that 4.8% for PFES and you get a loss of 9.5%, pushing that ETF down from $55 to $49.75. So you're down 25 cents or half a percent over two days, even though Pfizer stock is just back to where it was. Do that over a long enough period of time, and you're talking about a significant amount of performance drag from this daily rebalancing effect. The more volatile the stock and the bigger the leverage factor, the more of a drag you're going to see from this effect. So leverage and inverse ETFs tied to Tesla, NVIDIA, and other growth stocks are probably going to be the most impacted. But when we're talking about single stocks, pretty much all of these ETFs are going to be at the whims of this effect. Obviously, a, a lot to really think about there. But if you are a trader you, and you want to get into these ETFs, you really have to understand this effect uh, and what kind of impact it's going to have on your returns over longer periods of time. Sean, I know you wrote up a quick piece on these ETFs. What are your thoughts overall? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's super interesting. We were talking yesterday, Samit, about that. And, and I think you might have a little bit larger piece about, um, you know, the rebalancing and the, and the effects of drag and things like that. I, I thought it was pretty ironic at first to hear a single stock ETF, you know, from an industry that kind of started tracking large indexes like S&P 500, et cetera, you know, and giving the people, you know, now coming back to, to have individual equities because, the value prop, you know, and the ingenuity of ETFs way back when was that you could get, you know, pretty good performance without having to beat the markets and taking on that risk like you talked about to me. You didn't have to have individual, you know, stock pickings, timing the market, beating the market. You could re relatively track an index and you were pretty, you know, modestly safe in, in some instances. And the second part of that is it was just, it was a lot cheaper, right? I mean, that's kind of the Bogle effect and you're cutting out the portfolio manager out of the equation. You're saving, you know, a lot, uh, you know, in the long run on, on those uh, management fees chipping into returns, you know, and then here we are today where you have a single stock wrapped up in an ETF wrapper. And some of these, I think the Tesla one was started at 95 basis points management fee, which is just like, it's just wild because that's the, that's the same price. I mean, one, one percentage point is about what it is for an actual human financial advisor to manage your entire portfolio. And you could even get a robo-advisor to manage your entire portfolio for a fraction of that for like 20 bips. And that's your all in, you know, not just one product. You bring up a great point. I think the other point to think about is how do these 1% management fees kind of erode? I mean, obviously you're not going to be keeping this long term, I think is kind of the point. You're just looking for kind of a quick grand slam home run and, and you don't mind paying the extra fee. But, you know, maybe it's just the natural evolution of, of an industry where you can literally get an ETF for like everything at this point. So, you know, why not try and kind of place bigger bets on some of these high profile names? I think it's interesting. I think it could come in handy for a lot of investors. It certainly came at a good time. But like you say, it has to really be used, used properly. Yeah. And you make a great point, Sean. The high expense ratios are really just... <laughs> hammer home this idea that these are not for long-term investors. They're for quick trades, get in and out, uh, and you don't want to be holding the bag even over a year or two. It could, it could really damage. And obviously, we've had 
leverage and inverse ETFs in the US for a long time. Now that part is not new. They've just been on indexes and single commodities. So we do know how they work and single commodity leverage ETFs can be just as volatile as these, right? Single commodities are super volatile. Look at oil and things like that. So these aren't any riskier than those necessarily, but they may appeal to a broader set of investors and traders. More investors are probably in, interested in investing in single stocks like Tesla mm -hmm. than something like oil or gold. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is the danger, right? They're going to appeal to a broader set of people. And there was already a lot of pushback against leveraged and inverse ETFs even before we got these. Now add these into the mix and the need to educate investors just gets even more urgent, I think. You know, we'll no doubt see dozens more of these ETFs come to the market in the coming months uh, from firms like Granite Shares, Direction, and a few others who, who have made filings with the SEC. The leverage factors are probably, I think, going to be in the one times to two times range to start, but it's conceivable we could see three times leverage single stock ETFs at some point. Uh, like we have with the other index leverage ETFs on the market. In Europe, 3x leverage single stock ETFs have existed for some time now. And as you can imagine, the performance has been abysmal. Uh, before this podcast, I took a look at what the Granite Shares three times long Tesla ETF in Europe has done. And since it launched in July 2020, Tesla stock itself is up 212%. But the 3x long Tesla ETF is only up 72%. And the 3x short ETF is down 99.99%. So those numbers kind of tell you, you know, how dangerous these ETFs are. You can't get much lower than 99.99. I think you bring up a good point, which is about who these who these products are kind of for or, or not even targeting, but who's going to be get the most value out of them. I was, I was actually listening to a video um, on investment news yesterday with Jeff Benjamin. He's a former colleague of mine and a friend of mine. He had Eric Balchunasam from from Bloomberg. And I thought it was interesting what uh, what Eric said, because Jeff asked him that question, who are these for? And, and Eric said it's definitely for retail, like strictly retail, because institutional guys, they already have access to these options desks and trading desks, and they don't really need, you know, to have this conveniently wrapped up in an ETF for them. They, they have those tools who the people that don't have those tools are, are the retail investors that are going to be using these, like you say, and you know, in many cases, those are the ones that have the least knowledge, as, as you say, about these products. It's a very convenient, it's very, you know, easy way to access. And in some ways, perhaps it's even kind of, you know, bringing some of these more sophisticated techniques down to the, the more retail, you know, almost democratizing some of these things where they wouldn't have access to them. Previous to this, you hear this kind of sentiment a lot in fintech where, you know, all these kind of things are coming down now to, to like Main Street investors. But I'd say overall, you know, what concerns me, and it's what, you know, Commissioner Crenshaw, um, you know, with the SEC was saying, too, is that you really have to have some knowledge about this. And to, I mean, to AXS's credit, I mean, it's in their perspective. It says, do not hold this long term, you know, and in their marketing materials. So being pretty upfront about it, or at least, you know, at least they're disclosing it. Let's put it that way. And I mean, you know, but still, it's, it kind of seems a little scary. And I don't know, maybe we can dive into a bit about what Commissioner Crenshaw said. I know you reported on that as well. 
But there's certainly some a bit of concerns for the investing public, especially what, as you say, some of what we've seen in Europe. Yeah, yeah, they are concerned. And you did mention, yeah, they are disclosing don't hold these long term. But how many retail investors are actually reading these yeah. documents, right? I, yeah. don't, I don't think they are. So I think mm -hmm. the need is still out there for people like us in the financial media to really hammer home the points that people need to know about don't hold these long term. But I don't think that's going to stop everyone. Um, you know, if people want to make risky bets, they're going to do that. People can already trade call options, put options, and those can be just as risky as these, if not riskier. So, you know, we just got to keep educating people mm -hmm. about these. No, I totally agree. Um, and you're right, it's not for anyone just to put on, you know, training wheels on people or guardrails. I mean, if people want to take these bets and understand the risk, uh, yeah, that's that's the right, and that's completely, you know, w what the markets are for. So uh, I think you're right. It's all about knowledge yeah. and education. And I think the other thing, though, switching gears just for a second, is about the other big news of the week, which was CPI, which I know you reported on as well, Samit. You want to kind of break us through that? I know, obviously, everyone saw the headlines, which the sky is falling pretty much, and just take cover and run wherever you can. You actually, found, I think, found a very interesting angle in your reporting this week where there was a couple silver linings from ETFs. Maybe before we sign off, you could just run run our listeners through kind of what happened and what you found, you know, when you analyzed what was happening. Sure. Like, I'm sure everyone listening knows the headline number. That was 9.1% hottest inflation rate since 1981 or so. But that wasn't completely unexpected, right? It was essentially a repeat of what happened the month before. We expected a hot number, but it came out even hotter than expected. The difference was this time around, the market's reaction wasn't that dramatic. Last time, the S&P 500 fell around 3% after the release. This time, it was down less than half a percent after the release of the data. I think that's simply due to the fact that a lot has already been priced into the market. When we got the CPI data for May, which came out in June, the market wasn't even in a bear market yet. Today, obviously, we are. But the second reason we probably didn't sell off too hard is there is hope out there that inflation could be peaking. I know people have been hoping this for a long time, but when you look at commodity prices, housing prices, guidance from companies like Target and Walmart who are slashing prices, they're all pointing towards a cool down in consumer prices. And I think even consumers can see that every time they go to the gas station, those prices have started to come down. It has yet to show up in the data, like the CPI data, but I think in, inevitably it's going to show up. Just look at break-even inflation rates, which uh, are sort of a market's expectation of inflation, and they're based on the difference in yield between normal treasuries and treasury inflation-protected securities, or TIPS, and those are down to around 2.5% over the next five years, 2.5%. That's the same as it was back in March of 2021, before anyone was even talking about high inflation. So mm -hmm. I think that's encouraging. The market is expecting 2.5% inflation over the next five years. It's not showing up in the CPI yet, but I think as we get further out, you know, towards the end of the year, we're going to see a notable deceleration mm -hmm. in the CPI. I don't know whether the Fed's going to focus on that so much as this high number when it makes its decision two weeks from now people were you know kind of bracing for a hike as of as much as a full percent 
uh, but now I think it's kind of leaning towards 75 basis points. We'll see what happens. But taking everything together, I think there is a high likelihood that inflation is going to start to come down. Um, but the question is, where does it stabilize? Right, Coming down from 9% is one thing. Ending up at 4%, that's still much higher than the Fed's 2% target. So that's another thing we have to worry about. But that's a story for another day. No, I think it was, I think you, you hit it. You know, kind of all the bases there, Samit. I mean, it's it's been a, it's a scary environment for everybody out there, especially I think it was you in, in one of our newsletters that had written that it's kind of even scary when the Fed can't even really provide guidance even a month out. You know, they're saying it won't be, you know, it won't be a 75 basis points la- last month. And then it turned out that it was. And now they're thinking, again, they were saying 50 to 75. And now it's kind of looking like it might be a full percentage point. So, yeah, it's scary out there. You have folks like Rob Arnott who's saying, Inflation is going to hit at least 10%. He said that on, on ETF.com in an interview with our managing editor, Heather Bell, I think it was last week. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of scary, but I think there was a silver lining. I just saw in um, some of the headlines where oil, the price of gas is really starting to come down. I mean, like you say, people can see it at the pumps. Um, I've seen it around me, like down 50 cents almost. Um, I saw a story in the Times that it's going to come down even more than that. Does that play in? I mean, I know that's a core component of some of these um, gauges, right? So, I mean, I mean, so if that gas comes down, will that have a significant lever on, on the CPI? Uh, it absolutely will. If you look at just this last CPI data that we got for the month of June, half of the increase in prices from May to June was due to the increase in energy prices, particularly gasoline prices, which were up 11% just from May to June. Now, if you look at gasoline prices, they're already down three and a half percent from June to July. Since prices are still falling, we're probably going to end up down five percent or something month over month. Mm -hmm. And we could keep falling after that. If you just take gasoline at the wholesale level uh, based on futures prices, the retail prices could fall another 50 cents from here just based on that. And of course, if oil and gasoline prices keep going down, that could be even more savings. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's huge, not just for the headline CPI, which has a big energy component, but even core CPI, which excludes energy prices. A lot of those prices are influenced by energy prices because shipping, um, you know, goods to uh, retail stores and things like that, that all you know takes fuel to do that on trucks and things like that. So energy has a huge influence on um, prices all around the economy. Interesting. Yeah, well, there's we have a lot to unpack here. Um, certainly, we'll have to leave the conversation right there for now. Thank you, Sumi, for all your insights, as always. And thanks to our listeners for, for listening to Exchange Traded Fridays. It's from ETF.com. We're the leading publication covering everything ETFs. If you like, just go to your favorite podcast app and search for Exchange Traded Fridays. We'll be there for myself and my colleagues, Sumi. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Take care, guys. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.